Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harko Meets Humans. Today, I'm here with uh, musician, producer, legend, uh, Welsh-born, Auckland-bound, self-described, pretentious coffee snob, <laughs> Greg Haver. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. It's very good. We've, we sat down, we'd, we'd never met before, we'd met on, on Twitter, and then we sat down and realised we had an entire cast of characters uh, in common. The music which is, industry is a very small world. It is, is yeah, There is... Um, there's not many of us, especially in New Zealand, really. It's kind of no. everyone knows everybody else. and But, you know, just just even wider than that, I, it's incredible. You can just pretty much go to any musical community anywhere and they'll, you'll have common people that you know. Yeah, not right. Not common, common people that you know. People that you know in common. <laughs> yes. And maybe some common people. <laughs> and you some know. common people, yeah. Definitely that, some common people. That's, yeah. the, that's the British, like, intergenerational trauma coming through yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's the class system <laughs> writ large. You can't really. get away from it, no. my friend. Um, before we start, what is your coffee order then? I'm a small flat white man, double shot, not too much milk. I mean, I used to be the big bucket of Starbucks guy until I came to New Zealand to work first. And yeah, right. I remember going to York Street Studios and Jeremy McPike, who was the studio manager there at the time, I'm like, where's the nearest Starbucks? You're just trying to drink that shit. Yeah, we make you a proper coffee. I'm like, ooh, this is rather good. You know, and it's like all the engineers there were trained baristas and. It was like, man, this this coffee thing is good, and and it was, but because I, I was, I was brought up on kind of milky coffee. It's a weird thing. My grandmother, when I was a kid, right, my grandmother gave me coffee. You know, I don't know if you ever had like camp coffee essence. Yeah, no, what's that? It's like a sort of chicory coffee kind of flavored liquid, okay, like a concentrate. And my grandmother used to sort of make some hot milk and put some of this coffee essence in. I don't think it had a caffeine in it. But, you know, sort of either that I was, I was a really wired kid. <laughs> so I had this, you know, this one of these kind of like, you know, childhood memories is this kind of like co- warm, milky coffee. Because so as soon as like coffee shops started arriving in Britain, right, proper coffee shops, rather than just some Nescafe in a sort of cup kind of thing. Yeah, right. I was like, oh man, I sort of started regressing drinking this coffee. So when I come here and like, everyone is obsessed by coffee, I just became this... It, like you say, insufferable coffee snob. And, yeah. And now, if I had to pick the three reasons for moving here, coffee would be in that top three. Yeah, right. So don't ask me what the other two is because I'm bound to leave something out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, hey, don't worry. I am the king of of creating top threes when there's really 20 things. Right, and I just yeah, have to yeah. aimlessly pick So some. when someone says, what's your favorite song? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's like 300,000 favorite songs. It's the stupidest songs. question. Yeah, or sort of what type of music do you like? Or, mm. you know, or sort of... It's yeah. it can be okay if they put like what type of music do you like today? Then yeah, I, then I'm yeah, like, oh, I yeah. could probably answer that about today, but yeah. I can't answer that. You know, question. it's like you can always go to your go tos. Like you pick a David Bowie song or pick a Led Zeppelin song, you're in pretty safe territory there. Yeah, and you're kind of like you know, yeah, it's kind of like especially with Bowie, it's kind of like you said so many periods. It's like you know, you can usually find something that somebody likes. Mm. You know, there's there's there'll be a a, a sort of a part of his career that everyone kind of likes. Yeah, right. What and you're, the way you're looking at anything? Really, you like him? No, no, no. It's not that. I mean, I, I, everyone who knows me and listens to this podcast knows that um, I was raised in a household that didn't introduce music to me. Right. So I, I had to. I found out about music through the radio. So, and that was like when Green Day's American Idiot was happening. 
and then forward. So that's where my musical education started. And then I met a very- You're that young that your musical education started with Green Day. Green Day's American Idiot specifically. That's really, really depressing In primary me. school, yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, No, it's okay. Yeah. Don't worry. I have lots of younger friends who do it to me. It's just the circle of life, my friend. I remember coming, you know, coming here and doing some first records I did. And then when I moved here permanently, so, so say, yeah, 2014- I was working on a record with the artist Kieran McMeekin and his rhythm section were like, oh my God, you produced the 48 May record and we used to play that in school. And like, to me, that's like, that such a more recent part of my life. Right. I had a, in a whole career before ever coming here. And it was like, and that just seems like crazy that someone was that young that they would like, they'd that their school record was 48 May's first album. Yeah. It's like. Is, is that weird for you? Do you go to different, countries and like well markets but like different countries and the people there have like they're, they're like separated projects that they talk to you about you doing so like in new zealand it's 48 yeah. may and all those things yeah is that weird for it's, you it's really there's, there's a band called chinaski uh, they're they're a czech band and they sing in czech and you know i was asked to work on on their own on actually some singles singles for their greatest hits they were there they were their 20th 20 year anniversary i'd never heard of them so i did a couple of songs for their 20th anniversary and it's like come and see us play so i thought i'll go and see them in some bar in prague yeah i go to see them they're playing to eighteen thousand people <laughs> right this is say and then a few so I, so I did did um and this was kind of like at a strange part in the career they had a few bad albums and we did an album together actually at rockfield studios in wales they said we want to go somewhere iconic because we've only ever recorded in czech republic so i said let's go to rockfield you know where queen did bohemian rhapsody and oasis did their first two albums and you know it's like it's just an iconic studio of 60 years of recording brilliant records and um so we did this album they, and they called it rockfield and it kind of relaunched their whole career and sort of like, and then you go back and you see them and the, and the audience are singing along to all these songs. Bear in mind, it's all in Czech. So I've done all these <laughs> albums in Czech. We actually did some of the, the following album at, at Roundhead here. They came over. They did so well. We went round the world to record the next album. Right. So let's spend some money. So we went to Australia <laughs> and the States and London and it's like, and we finished, and they said, can we come and finish it with you? I'm like, great. I won't have to go anywhere. I'll just stay yeah. And we went, we said it, we had a couple of weeks in Roundhead and finished it there. But yeah, so you go to these, yeah, and, and people like different things. You know, there, there's pretty much everywhere I go, there's usually some hardcore Manic Street Preachers fans. Right. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty safe ground with them. Often like people who work for record labels here, oh, you did the Manics. Oh, they used to, you know, there's, you know, there's like people of a certain age, record companies, they sort of. Kind of like a band's band of the people who still work in the thing, you know what I mean? They're, that's the beauty of them is that musicians love them. Yeah. So the amount of work you get from working with a band's band, it's just crazy. You know, I've not worked with them for 15 years, but I still a lot of work I get offered is just generated from, from those records, really. And the reason I came here was really, I was in the middle of a period of working with them and it was, um, you know, I was brought over here to do some seminars. Kind of, a, it was um, the Resonate seminars. They were a bit like Glowing, Glo Glowing Global. Mm. Um, sort of music industry coming over, doing seminars, chatting away, and um, and I literally said, uh, well, as I you would usually do if I go to a new country, I would go and see some record labels, do some networking, and I I, I met up with James Southgate, who now manages Devilskin, and um, he was he was CEO at Warner's, and he said, like, well, you come back and do the Feelers record, so I came back that year and did Playground Battle with the Feelers, and that did really well. And then I came back a year or so later and did Second Hand Planet for Op Shop. So both those records were big selling records. So you kind of end up being part of the industry 
just by doing a couple of records really mm. and uh yeah and then on the last day of the op shop record i met my wife jackie and uh yeah, and the rest is history. And oh. now, now I'm a New Zealand citizen. Uh, like I, I remember my manager Stephen Budd phoning up and saying, "Mate, mate, do you want to go to New Zealand?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, of course I will." I was actually on the Manic Street Preach tour at the time, playing playing for them, and uh, and he was um, like, "Yeah, I'll go. Of course I'll go. I'll, I'll never get a chance to go there again in my life, you know." And here I am, sitting here, yeah. 16 years later, a citizen of the country and coffee addict and. You know, feel and feel very at home here, and especially now, very glad to be here. Seeing the state that Britain's in, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's tough to look, you know, to see how how hard it hard it, it taken it over there. Yeah, right. It, it kind of seems like you're really good at going with the flow, because it's it, all that story kind of sounds like. And then I just like arrived in this new place and just kind of got on my feet quickly and talked to this person and went with it. You know, it's, I mean. Networking is one of those kind of industry dirty words. Yeah, got to network, man. You got to get out and network. You know, yeah. and it's like, but that doesn't involve doing loads of coke and talking shit. <laughs> you know, you can actually just genuinely talk to people. And I love the company of musicians. Musicians. This one of the reasons I got into producing was I just enjoy the company of musicians and yeah. talking about music and and um, and it's like it's it's quite an easy thing to do, but it's not doesn't come natural to everybody and. One of the reasons I got quite involved in working with APRA to set up the Song Hubs program here and the, and I set up the music producer series with Recording Music New Zealand was to get producers, songwriters, musicians networking together because, you know, the the cult... I mean, the, the, the younger generation of musicians here are very good at collaborating, networking, but there's a whole generation of musicians that were very independent. It's a very... That independent music spirit... That, this, that New Zealand always had that didn't really go very well with the idea of collaboration. So just trying to change the mindset slightly so it just felt like it was a more natural thing to do and quite an acceptable thing to do to be in a room with, with some strangers and write some songs. So, you know, you, you just, you kind of want to hold on to what the strengths of the music industry here are, but you've also got to, you know, most of the music industry works with networking, you know, and that's how all the really cool stuff happens by people you meet and people you work with and, and um, the idea of bringing songwriters and 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 producers over here to sort of just hang out with musicians and producers here, yeah, yeah, you know, it, there are really really tangible benefits from it, and uh, so it's it's kind of been so it's been a bit of a mission of mine just to try and you know not change the industry here, but just kind of like introduce some other options mm. as a possibility because I've been very lucky in the fact that if I go somewhere new, I like to try and integrate with the the industry there and um yeah you know you end up in crazy places i spent two years in latvia in riga <laughs> i went there to do a conference right. did some networking found a really great recording studio on the, on the outskirts of riga that was like 400 bucks a day including accommodation for this full ssl studio with wow. a steinway grand piano and lots of great mics and so i'd literally get fly bands in from london or from Moscow, because luckily it's right in between the two. So I have a lot of bands from the Soviet Union and bands from, from London. Let's meet in Riga. And we'd all meet in Riga and we'd record there. I'd fly in from Cardiff on a Monday morning. When you say Soviet Union, you actually mean the, like when the Soviet Union was the Soviet Union? Actually towards, no, actually, no, it would have been more Russia, okay. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I was brought up with the, oh, yeah, I, I, of course. I was yeah, brought yeah. up with the Soviet Union. I mean, only recently did I get to Moscow. I was, I was there a couple of years ago and I always saw when I was in Riga, that I would, I must go to Moscow because I have so many friends there and bands I'd work with there. 
but I know it's so, so difficult to get visas and get in. And it's like, right. it's, it was always too much of a hassle. I was always too busy. So when I was back in, in Riga a couple of years ago, working with a band there that I am, um, right, this time I'm going to go. So I, I got my visa my, you know, from the embassy here and went, went to Moscow and spent time there. So it was really fascinating being, standing in Red Square, because Red Square for me, when I was a kid, was like, it was Brezhnev standing on the Lenin mausoleum and the tanks going past and the, and the, and the missiles. And it's like, to stand and thinking, well, I'm never going to go there because it's, the Soviet Union yeah, right. and they'll never let me in. And um, so that was kind of, you know, perks of the job. You know, you had to go to cool places. And, but, you, you know, like I say, I ended up in Riga doing lots of, you know, work with bands and stuff there. And it's, uh, you just end up in these crazy places and essentially musicians are the same the world over. You know, they, there's like, um, bass players are always stoners. Guitarists <laughs> always play ahead of the beat. Singers always got a bit of an ego issue. Drummers, I get on well with because I'm a drummer, so we're yeah. drummers union. Um, you know, do they horribly just generalize a whole world of musicians? Oh, well, yeah, but that's kind of what we're all about on this it's podcast, kind, to be yeah, honest. That's how we roll. It's kind of, unfortunately, it is a tr guitarist, particularly. They always play ahead of the beat, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> and it's universal. Do you have, yeah, a, like, what kind of a like a, what kind of a producer are you? I know that's a very broad question, but like, did you come through the like through the engineering ranks up into producing? You more of like a, I'm I'm I understand the musicians. We're going to focus on songwriting and like how, what, when you walk into a room, what's the thing you're like really? We're going to focus on this and nail this. I'm pretty old school with production. Really, it's yeah. like I mean I've been through all the different areas. Weirdly, like there was. I always thought I would get into producing a certain way because I was a session drummer for a long time. That was my gig. You know, I would, I would turn up, I'd play drums for people and that was what I was required to do. And, um, and then I enjoyed the, I really liked studios. It was like, it's, I liked the magic of the songs kind of being created. Mm. So I'd often sit at the back of the room after I'd finished doing my, my drumming and watch the producers work and the engineers work and, and everyone overdubbing. And it was like, this is fascinating. I really like this. And so I'd like to get into this. But how do you do it? I mean, it's like, there were very specific routes through production when I was starting. It was like, you know, you'd be the T-boy at the studio, then the engineer, then mm. you'd get into production. You know, it's a long process. And there were no courses, there were no SAEs, there was no mains, there was nothing like that. So it was like, how do, how do I get into this? So luckily I was in, I was in a band um, with a couple of guys in, in South Wales and, and uh, and Tim Lewis, the keyboard player, who I was at school with, um, he became he became this legendary alter ego. This guy, Thy Paul Sandro, who played for Coil and Spiritualized and lots of really great bands, and mm. amazing synth player. And and he had got some inheritance money, and bought a little recording studio. Oh, yeah. So we kind of I kind of learned hands on there. But also the first band I was in was a band in 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 Worcestershire that was run by a guy called Paul White, who's the editor of Sound on Sound magazine now, and has been for like. 25 30 years and uh, he had a four track set up in his house so in the late 70s i was home recording in this four track studio so i had some basic skills from you know from 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 this process but i kind of um yeah it was just really you know i, I tried doing it as songwriting so i was with emi music publishing for quite a few years and uh, and then i but it eventually came about so i bought a recording studio in cardiff uh, with a, with a friend of mine and it was the start of the explosion of Welsh music, Catatonia, Super Furry Animals, Manic Street Preachers, Stereophonics. 
So it, Wales was a real center for music at that time. Mm. So although I'd done all these things beforehand, it was, um, you know, I, I, had, I had the studio, I was engineering, so I ended up producing a lot of those records as well. So, so it was an overnight success after like 20 years of... <laughs> Which is yeah, doing yeah. It. So, 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 I'm very much kind of. Um, most of the work I, t I do tends to be with live musicians, right? These days, because that's, I mean, that's kind of my area. I leave all the programming to the the, the 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 cool young kids and let them do their thing. You know, I don't like staring at screens all day. I like to be in a room with musicians. I like being part of the band as well. So, you know, it's uh, often solo artist stuff. I'll I'll be in there playing with the music with the band as well. Mm. so yeah i've kind of regressed back to what i used to do i do a lot of drumming these days do you think you've so you've 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 turned up back into the part that got you into it in the first place mm, and it's why i loved doing it yeah the playing was always the you know the buzz for me and as much as i love producing i love making records and i've been really you know i had a great career doing that being in a room with great musicians you know it's like i've got this insane band that i work with here which is like um like uh, Mike Hall from Pluto on Bass and Tom Healy who produces that Tiny Ruins and uh, and from Paxman yeah and pa yeah t uh, Tom Healy and Steve Small playing keyboards and it's like you just play with those guys and you're one bar in and everything sounds great straight away yeah and then you can see the artist getting really excited about the prospect and everyone in that band is a producer in their own right yes so it's like it's it's pretty insane to be in that room really has has have you noticed any ups musician upskill in terms of um, understanding what production is and how production works since it's become a bit more ubiquitous and easy to get into recently or is it still kind of the skill levels are still moderately the same oh, the production skills in New Zealand are insane there's so many good producers working here and it's and it's been really something I've really wanted to do for a, a while is kind of enable young producers to sort of um, you know I've just set up the music producers guild with Chris Chatland from Cog Studios, and um, you know, I've also do the music producer uh, um, seminars each year, and uh, we've just launched the new music development program with NZ on Air, which is for producers to develop new artists. So I've been quite in, in, involved in the in in getting the industry schemes running yeah. to help producers. But you know, if you think of you know the great producers working here, you know, obviously Joel Little. Uh, and Josh Fountain and Sam DeYoung and um, and they got guys Kiwis working overseas like Leroy Clampett. Um, yeah, shout out Leroy. You know there are there is there is there are so many so many great producers. I mean this year, um, obviously Sam Cy uh, Gooding working on the Pink Records. It's like it's it's just crazy the amount of production skills here. So you know part of the new music development scheme, the engineer have really you know they, it took it, it took a lot to kind of figure out a way to make a scheme that does artist development work within the remit of NZ on air. And it's, you know, and David really Reed kind of drove it forward to make that work. And, uh, you know, so basically we're going to give, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been brought on as an independent advisor to the scheme. And, um, the idea is to give, uh, producers grants to develop new artists. You know, that's a really important part. You've got script development and film, which is really important part of film development. And so we looked at a lot of the parallels between the film industry and the music industry. And so it's been quite interesting, interesting turning into this kind of industry gray beard, <laughs> you know? So I'm right. like, it wasn't what I planned to do. Obviously, obviously COVID is kind of like focused that, you know, cause I can't get back to Europe to do any work. Can't do your traveling. Yeah. Did you have to cancel many projects or anything? Or yeah. it's just kind of like, you don't, you just can't pick any up essentially. I mean, I was due to be back for the most, of, for most of September in Europe doing projects there, but I mean, they've all been shunted to March, but even that's looking pretty optimistic at the moment. 
So I'm kind of quite happy, you know, working on these projects. It's helped me focus that getting the Music Producers Guild running, which launches on the 19th of October. That's been, you know, it's been a long-term project to try and get that running to give uh, young producers that sort of, you know, access to contracts and uh, and gear uh, gear deals and advice on royalties and try to standardize some of those producer practices that have enabled me to have a long-term career in, in production. Yeah, because there's been a real flood. Like, again, that's probably where the biggest increase in people getting into music is into production as opposed to, you know. So, and, I, and you do get the sense that there isn't a huge wealth of um, that kind of information, even if it's similar to what musicians might need or are getting. It's, it always helps when you can read something that specifically points at you and says, this is for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and obviously, I mean, Chris Chetland says I've got two good skills. I, I would argue I have more skills than that. <laughs> yeah. But um, the, the, the one is people return my emails, you know, uh, and the other one is I, I'm good at prizing money out of people. Yeah, nice. Um, but that only comes out of like 30 years of having a career and proving myself within the industry. You know, it's 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 not just it's not that I'm just good at prizing money out of people. It's that they know that I I want it how I want to target things. I'm I spend a lot of time trying to explain about what I want the programs to achieve. Yeah, and um, just from you know I've made. 30 years a lot of that has been doing things wrong so you learn how to do things right and and pa pass that information on and I, and I really like the fact that that people you know who are successful you know, obviously Joel's getting really involved with like music helps and programs like that um, I have a friend Amy Wodge who who writes she wrote Thinking Out Loud for Ed Sheeran I did Amy's first record and you know she's putting a lot back into young songwriters in Wales and it's I, I think it's really beholden on musicians and 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 people that have had a career in the industry to to help younger musicians and producers through the process because it's 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 a, it's a hard job to to achieve and mm. it's uh it's I'm, I've, I've got been on a bit of a mission recently because i started doing a research paper for the music commission looking at the music industry in sweden and the music industry in new zealand i think okay. the, the original premise from the music commission was um could new zealand be a global music hub along the same lines as that sweden is so so oh, all right, and and do we you know could we could we you know could we be a place where we, where artists will come to come to record but you know so I started di digging into this and um, I'd, I'd, had, I'd had quite a lot of connections with Sweden from um, setting up song hubs this this year which was um, which was um, we brought a lot of Swedish songwriters over and I've been sort of speaking to the industry there so I started researching and so okay where where are we similar where are we different. And uh, there's a lot of really similar things with, you know, the way the industry works, the size of the industry. But where the, where the issue really lies and where the difference really lies between Sweden and, and New Zealand is in, in the education system. In Sweden, the education system is so integrated in the music industry. Are we talking like um, university or high school? From, or? For, from year right. one, okay. right through high school, right through to higher education. Where you have colleges like Music Machina, which, uh, which you know, the, the thirty elite songwriters and producers, and they all have in the music industry. I mean, out of the thirty, there about four or five hundred people apply every year, and and the places are chosen by the by by the heads of record labels by the music industry. And out of those 30, 27 of this year's intake, twenty seven are now permanently employed in the music industry. Their top their top student is uh, writing with Max Martin and Katy Perry, and. And uh, the other three are moved into gaming and other areas of, 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 of entertainment. And it's like, you know, having that 
I've really joined up system between the industry and education is like a huge part of how, why it works. So obviously what I thought was going to be quite a simple report to write, I'm now sort of 80 interviews in and I'm every morning I'm up speaking to the Swedish industry and every evening and, uh, and then meeting lots of educators and, and figuring out ways how we can look at a program in 15, 20 years time. You know, that's, that's the length of time you need to, be, need to be looking at to make really fundamental change because you've got to get away from that kind of colonial education system into, a, into a, you know, that acceptance that music is a profession, a serious profession you can go into. Uh, instead of an add-on it's like yeah you can do music to you 18 19 then of course you get a proper job then music becomes a hobby it's like no like that's in sweden it's looked at as a serious proper profession you can you can have a whole career in so we can do it with elite sport in new zealand you know so why can't we do it with music which has which yeah to be you know much as i am a welshman you know rugby is in my blood right yeah. and you know nothing makes me happier than watching the super rugby game on a Friday night. I'm not sure it's my wife's favorite thing, but you know, watching a chiefs game on a Friday night is, is great. But rugby in comparison to the music industry, is doesn't have anywhere near the same amount of reach that, that music does globally. So we should be supporting music and music education on the same level that we, we support elite sports. And if we can change yeah. that mindset, so it's not just the educators or different hues of government you know, it's it, it should be about the parents thinking, all right, well, you know, my kid could be a lawyer, or they could be a they could be a doctor, though they could be a musician, and and that not being a crazy thing to propose. No, I guess, th you know, am I am I am I is this wishful thinking or? Do you I no, I I no, I can I, I completely agree with you. I was just going to do the devil's advocate thing, which is, I guess, the biggest question for all that is, um, what is the music. What is the music consumption culture like in Sweden compared to New Zealand? Because if you bring up rugby and how much money we spend on it, that's I, I think we should at least be spending as, as much, you know, whatever. But you know, we fill stadiums for rugby games, yeah, um, and people don't. To generalise, people don't seem to have a good uh, opinion or sense of um, exactly a thriving live music or music consumption culture in New Zealand? I mean, there, there are outliers. Obviously, 660 would be an outlier. In Definitely. That. You know, it's like, I think, you know, in general with outliers, you've got to take them out of the equation and look at the general, you know, the rest of the, you know. Yeah. Uh, like, you take Max Martin out of the Swedish model, you take Joel Dull out of the New Zealand model, you look at what's left. Yeah. Um, but that's part of the cultural shift. You know, why... Why is, is sport held up as, you know, cause it's very ingrained in New Zealand culture, you know, as it is in, in Welsh culture. You know, it's, it's, it's this, in Wales, it's the sport of the working man, you know. It's, yeah. uh, and it, and it's it, kind it, of the same here. It's very different. I mean, and it's the, almost the opposite to English, how the English view rugby and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, I, was, I had a public school education. I was played rugby because it was a public school sport. And it's, um, it's you know, that's, yeah, that's, this is why the Welsh hate the English so yeah, much. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's class warfare, essentially. You know, mm. it, 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 when you boil it down into its basic form, it is class warfare. But um, it's, you have to change the culture. And it's... So part of my sort of mental um, sort of like task to myself of being, right, it's easy, it's, it's, it's much easier to explain to someone who 
understands music and knows music and listens to music yeah or you know or or you know without getting too political you know a more left-leaning government will always be more supportive of music and the arts than than a more right-leaning government so how do you go cross-party how do you explain to a, a more right-leaning government the importance of music you know the the importance in young people's mental health their development as people the small business side of it you know why you know where you're creating lots of small businesses essentially yeah. so you know you've got to be able to speak to different hues of government because fundamental change to the music industry is going to take a long time it's going to take yeah it's going to take several changes of government and everyone, they've all got to buy into it so you've got to find an argument that's going to everyone's going to buy into but um you know i look at i had a long chat with a, with a songwriter called jorgen ellefson who's um he, he was there at the start of the kind of like the swedish explosion which was Dennis Pop and then Max Martin and uh, and you know we were kind of speculating what Dennis Pop would feel now because because Dennis died uh, a few years after he set up Chevron Studios uh, uh, the the the, the, the uh, decisions he made then changed the global music industry right. you know and so it was like it's so you're looking at like a twenty twenty five year period between now where now Sweden is this global behemoth of music and why can't New Zealand be like that and so. You know, I, was, I I looked at you know I looked at Sweden, then I looked at okay, let's go to let's go to go to Park Road and let's speak to the, the film industry because the New Zealand film industry was in a similar place. It was like lots of really talented people, and now you look at it now, and it's like you know they're 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 you know it's, it's a global center for film and software development within the film industry, and you know it's like there's no reason why the music industry can't be the same here. No. You know, you, you just got to put enact the right things, and and people take the film industry seriously. Look, look at the benefits it brings to tourism. All, all the cliches that kind of like, you know, Lord of the Rings. You know, blah, blah, and it's like, you know, I'm sure you as much as me hate the idea that and all our friends overseas think all New Zealand is is Hobbiton, and you know, but it's like, hey, ultimately, what it generates for the country is hugely positive. Mm. So it's like, you know, it's how you know, how many years have I had? Oh, you're Welsh and you live in New Zealand. You must be the sheep. You know, it's like I'll take all the bullshit stuff as long as everything that's been enacted is in benefit of the greater goal. You know, so and for me, the greater goal is like the recognition of contemporary music as a really serious art form that can generate careers, lifelong careers for lots of people. Sure, and I and I guess the key to sustaining careers is going to be in two parts. One is generating enough money while you're still in New Zealand as a national um, prospect and a national artist, maybe growing your audience in New Zealand first, be able to have enough of a consumer base to operate multiple artists at that level, or as many as you can, I guess, and then providing the ramp up to the international. But do you think that's still relevant, though? Do you, uh, music... It's such a glow. You know, I don't, the, but the, but but how we've set up our funding says it is because we we split our funding international and national, right? So New Zealand on air has to focus national, and Creative New Zealand has to focus mm, international. Yeah. So like, I don't really agree, but that seems to be the metric we're in. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the moment you start dealing with governmental organisations, yeah. they 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 are. I mean, a, a, a major reason for me when David asked me to get involved with the new art, new music development program was it's important that I stay independent of New Zealand on air, that I'm not an employee of Enzen on air, that I have my own voice that I can push back. Mm. Um, 
Otherwise, it makes making get involved with other programs difficult because you know I need to be able to break some eggs to. And you have you have expertise picture. across more than you know what I mean. Like it would, it's great to have you consulting across many different avenues rather than being tied to one. Yes, I couldn't make any artistic decisions on anything if I was actually employed by NZNO no, because yeah. that's not within their remit. I mean, it's, it's 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 really strange to me when I look at how hard it is to get any funding for music in the UK. And I see the amount of shit that gets thrown at NZ on their music, particularly because, and a lot of it comes down to, you know, personal taste in music and why, why some artists don't get funding, some artists get, do get funding. And I think we need to get out of the idea that if you don't get funding from a, a government body, it's a personal slight against you. There are so many factors that go into why people get certain, why certain people get funding mm. and certain artists get funding, and I and some of them are fair and some of them are not fair. Yeah. But whoever said the music industry was fair, if, yeah. if 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 that's your gripe, it's not for you. Yeah. It's going to be really fucking hard to do. The music industry is a, a really difficult profession, but if you love music, you you put up with that. And it's like the mere fact there is funding for the arts here on a, on a, on a scale I just cannot even, as a British musician, I can't even relate to the fact that it's like, like us, like New Zealand and Canada, you know, it's, it's, it is such, you know, it's, they're really the only two countries I know that get music funded to the same degree. Isn't that odd degree. though? Because I will come back to it and I will like say like, I'm a, it is obviously an amazing thing that we have all that money coming in. It's kind of funny that we'd say like New Zealand and Canada, not really thought of as bastions of music production, mm. are we? Like, and, and we say England has hardly any funding, but a, a, a powerhouse in terms of the music output mm. and at, well, at least attention paid to yeah. it. Which begs the argument, is government funding for music detrimental to music? There is an there is an argument to be said that it could be that it's like the the fact that like something something I can't relate to that I've heard several times many times over the years. Well, if I don't get the funding, I won't do it. It's like really. It's like you know I I would save up my gyro checks yeah. to pay for a van hire and petrol to go to London to play to five people yeah. because that's what I did as a musician you know and it's like you you figure out a way around it so I always see the, the funding any funding you get as a bonus you mm. know I think the new music development program is different to that because it's about long term development of artists rather than immediate deliverables I mean you know. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you feel that that by making funding available, it creates more problems than it solves? Or do you think the industry would fall apart without it? Do right now, it would fall apart without it, I think. Um, but I would say that... Like, Why do you think that? Because my main thing is that we've... I think we've been placing all of our... In general, and very simply, let's just say... In the 90s, when we set up a lot of the schemes we have now, or kind of our model of how we want to fund things um, in New Zealand music and the music industry, I think we had an amazing stream of really talented musicians coming from their um, towns and their cities and their live scenes through things like Smoke Free Rock Quest, but in actual centres, all ages shows. And essentially this continuous stream of talented musicians was coming through. And so a sensible person would look at it like we did and say, 
okay, cool. What's missing in this equation? It's the ramp that like kicks them out, gets them overseas, created New Zealand, or gets them on radio because we're just not getting played. Totally makes sense. What I think has happened is that for one reason or another, we haven't had a really serious big picture look at you know 30 years down the line, uh, and I think that stream has stopped. And so I think if we, while as much as I personally don't, I, I, my, my position most of the time is that I think we could be spending the money better than subsidizing the top part because I think the top part is doing the best it's ever done. And I'm not saying take all the money away. I'm not saying all those things, mm. but I guess it's pushing for like, I think the stream has stopped. And if we don't, if, if government funding doesn't exist to help the very grassroots and, and amateur people into a kickstart risk-free to then allow them a good platform to make themselves of what they will then kind of what is government funding for yeah i would i would agree with that and i think it fits uh, you like, when you see the education actually i hadn't actually thought about that yeah so the idea and i think the rugby thing works really well because it would essentially be the reason why we have people turning up to rugby and not to gigs is because every saturday from the age of five onwards you or your friends are playing a rugby game in your club in your town all your friends yeah. play a sport. You go to sport every weekend. Sport is part of your life. Yeah. You don't go to a gig until what? Maybe when now there's no, well, the all ages things are collapsing. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't even go to a gig until you're maybe 17 if you sneak in or 18 because they're all in bars. Yeah. Um, and of course people aren't going to prioritize music in that way because they just don't see it every weekend. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it requires a major cultural shift and a major perception shift in the value yeah. of music. I mean, I... My first-hand experience of this is, was the change in attitude in Wales in the mid-90s. I mean, literally, Welsh musicians couldn't get arrested. The, the, a lot of pioneering work was done by Welsh language artists right. with the support of guys like John Peel back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, 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 and that directly led on to the English language um, sort of music scene with the Mannix and things like that. And even when the Maddox was starting to really break through. I mean, it's like, I mean, I always recount the story that this is my truth, tell me yours, sold a million albums in Wales and there's only three and a half million people in Wales. So, you know, so pretty much every household owned a copy of that album. And um, it's like, you could see government start to, oh, right, okay. This, maybe this is important, but having no idea how to fund it properly, mm. no idea, you know, handing out European money to kind of organizations that knew nothing about music. So we'd all get brought in as advisors to, to organizations that were, there were, you know, job creation organizations or sort of that. They had no idea how the music industry worked, you know, and it's like, and it's, but they, they were trying, they were trying to like, well, you know, we should make a difference because it's important to the country and we all celebrate how great those bands are, you know? Mm. And, and, and so you just, that's part of the shift you've got, you've got to make. And I think you're, you're totally right in saying that the top part of the industry is quite well served here. You know, a lot of, you know, once you break into that funding model. Which is great because it, you know, it, the, um, you need to have that as well as everything else. Yeah. But the grassroots is education, the grassroots. Now, what I'd really like to see here as well is, you know, I remember when, when we were setting the Music Producers Guild up, I did have a conversation with another producer about, well, you're kind of doing it wrong. What we need here is we need a musician's union. 
I'm like, yeah, well, actually, that, let's, look, let's start with producers guilds and, and go for because that's a whole other thing. And then, you know, I was in, in chat, I'm in chat with Paul McClaney and he said, you know, there is a musicians union in New Zealand. I'm like, really? I'd never heard of that. You know, mm. it's like, because I remember the, the MU in the UK when I was growing up as a musician been all powerful i couldn't do i couldn't work on television you couldn't go on top of the pops unless you're an mu member everyone was paid really well they um, the the musicians union really protected musicians wages right through all layers of, of musicians mm. and so so well, maybe we we need to reenact the musicians union here i mean we literally if it if you're listening to this and you're from the mu can you please return my emails because no one's replying to me or Paul. I hear they do more legal stuff than yeah, anything, really. But, you know, the Musicians Union should be a proper union supporting musicians at the grassroots. You know, it's musicians who play covers gigs are the musicians that go on and have, you know, can have careers in music. Joe Little was doing covers gigs before Lord broke through. I spent eight years in the working men's clubs in Wales playing Whitney Houston songs, and it was a fantastic education. Mm. Can be it was a bit depressing, but you learned how to how to avoid bottles being thrown at you, <laughs> and you earned a living, and you learned how the songs were arranged. You learned it was part of your craft, you know. So you could do your Hamburg, your like Beatles sessions where you play night after night after yes, night and get yeah. better, you know. But imagine that, you know musicians here doing those gigs, getting paid well for them, getting paid properly for them, having their art really valued that would give them that freedom to write. Well, I'm doing the covers gigs, but I, there's, for me, there's no shame in doing covers gigs. It's part of a musician's education and, and being able to ha have better income so they could actually develop their own music and develop their own. You know, I think you've got to go back to the grassroots and you've got to go back to education to make a long-term difference because, you know, we've got those funding structures in place for the top part of the industry. Let's figure out ways to make everything else work. And they're working really well. And, the, and, and I guess... I mean, do you, do you feel that? Do you genuinely feel that? I, I mean, I, I think they're working... It's not a platitude to get out of people being angry at me. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I have a lot of... After every funding round, I have lots of musician friends... I let them rant at me because it's the way they, they get how they're feeling out. And it's like, it's okay. I, but I, I keep pointing out to them, it is not personal. No. It's not, no one said, we don't like that artist, they're not going to give them any money. You know, it's like, it's... it's. Don't you think part of that is a... Is it not just a... You would describe it how I describe it, as a misunderstanding. Someone who who doesn't get funded and is angry about it is, is misunderstanding the process and New Zealand on-air music, Right. I would say, and I feel like part of the uh, the person who has to take responsibility for the misunderstanding is the organisation not communicating. I think there's I think there is some kind of miscommunication gap in some way because I have to explain to people when I'm having chats about them uh, about New Zealand on air and being like, oh, that's not the I have to keep saying that's not their mandate. Like that's not their mandate. Their mandate is on air. Yeah. Um, Com like and and they've designated on air well, as commercial radio. Well, it was until the new music development program, which is why it's such a huge departure for them. Have they officially? Has the mandate changed, or are they just? Uh, do you know what I mean? Or is it just kind of like we found a way to work it in without changing? I the think mandate? they found a way to work it in yeah. with a, with a chair. Whether that comes from from um, Cam Harland, the new head of Entertainer, being uh, from the film, you know, from used to work at Park Road. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it, def it's definitely a shift, and it's mm. a fundamental shift in the way that they're looking at music. Well, they're in a they're in a really tough place. I, I've said this to a few people as well because when you you know the the audience statistics came out 
um, from the survey that New Zealand on Air did, and radio was taking a huge beating. Which again, it's a co- it's COVID year. People aren't in cars. It's kind of hard to really take that thing. So they're going to do another one next year, which would be really interesting as well. But and then you've got the the, the internet is really like we said, leveling the difference between national and global, yeah. and 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 then the whole idea of how music is consumed. Um, how how it's made the the lowering of costs in terms of making it, they're really fundamental hard questions that are being asked of essentially the um, framework of the of of its mission. You know, yeah. that's a and I think that's a really super tough spot to find yourself in. I mean, it's 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 interesting deal with dealing. I, I went through it in Wales with the Arts Council and uh, other organisations I was involved with, and. It's always interesting coming from, you know, I'm essentially, I work in the private sector. I'm a sort of independent producer. I'm self-employed and, and, I, and I'm used to being agile and thinking on my feet and making quick decisions and getting things done. Yeah. And then you, 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 you start interacting with governmental organizations and you see the glacial pace that everything moves at and how long it takes to change everything. And the music industry is in inherently a really forward-thinking, fast-moving industry. The technology changes monthly, if not daily. Mm. It's the way people consume music. Like When I started doing the research um, for, for this this um, for the paper for the commission, music commission, I thought I'll go back and read the Caddick report from ten years ago, and literally everything in that report's been surpassed. You know, it talks about MySpace, it talks about, it's about right. Austra- Australasian record deals. It's, wow. it's like it's like you know, and that's no reflection on Chris because that's the, that's what was available at the time. So you know, you need to be re- 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 you know changing the way that industry structures work much more rapidly than a, than a governmental model would let you do yeah so it's always finding that way you know and it's just like is that possible i don't know i I think it's where where you know where government butts up against the creative sector and 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 i think there there needs to be a better interaction between the two and a better understanding between the two rather than i think that you know there can be an attitude it's like where I disagree, there are musicians in New Zealand who I who I love, but I disagree with fundamentally. As far as the the industry shit, it's out to get me. I it's 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 a it's a, it's a clique. It's right. It's all run on secret handshakes. It's the fucking Freemasons, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. not. It's my dad was a Freemason. It's not the Freemasons. Really, I really your dad was you, a free, Freemason. My dad was a Freemason. So. Secret hand. <laughs> it's fucking secret. I was never shown the secret handshake. Are we gonna get? Sh- are we gonna get shut down for mentioning this now? Are they coming after us? It's like I never knew the secret handshake. Uh, I did mock him once about it, and I was told, "Don't mock things you don't understand." Oh, I love that. And uh, so I never spoke to him about it again. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but it isn't the Freemasons. It, it, it is. It's very much you know a lot of really good people trying to do their best within the confines of what they're given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and it's like, and you know, I get a bit shitty with people when they when they start personally attacking people within the industry because I know how hard they're working to make, and they all want it to be a better place and, and to be better for musicians. And a lot of the musicians themselves, well, they really love music, and nothing would makes makes them happier than seeing New Zealand artists be successful. Yeah, and you know, I think I think I think it's unfair on them to kind of like tar them with this, you know, but you know. Part of the reason for me wanting to stay, to stay as an advisor to NZA and not being part of an NZA is because I knew that if I, you know, that, that pushback 
you know, I, I, I feel the need to keep that distance because it's like the only way I can kind of like have the discussion with, with some musicians because it's, you know, cause I, I've still partly independent, you know, and I literally, because, you know, I've had a, I've had a career in music. I don't mind. I, I if I, I don't need, I don't care about losing the, losing the gig. I don't need the gig to mm. survive. I have my independent income from work that I've done previously. So it's like, so I, you know, I'm about as independent as you uh, voices you can get because I don't I'm not dependent on the music industry for in New Zealand for my survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, I just wish there was a bit more kind of like understanding that everyone's trying to do the same thing. It's not a battle. It's not mm. a war. And you know, we maybe I'm trying to live in some weird socialist utopia. I don't think we all, so. We all love each other and, and sort of like and um you know, hey man, we're, it's all for the all for the good of the music and everything, but it, we need to think of the collective. It's not like how much, you know, I've had this discussion with a lot of producers about the development scheme. It's like, right, this is how much money we've got available for the scheme. You can apply for the maximum amount of money for every grant you apply for, but try and think of the bigger picture. If I can give grants to 80 producers instead of 40 producers, because you don't all apply for the maximum amount of money, that long term is going to help the industry. And if we can, I think one of the dangers of funding is how much can I get out of it? What's in it for me rather than what's in it for the whole music industry? How can I temper my expectations from funding models in order to like do what's best for the industry as a whole in the long term? And I think if we can change that mindset, I think that will make a big difference. Yeah. And I totally agree. It's funny because like artists, and then to a certain extent, lesser extent, sorry, producers from my experience do have that ego thing because you kind of have to, in some sense, at least when you start out to think that what I'm doing is important enough for people need to hear this, you know, people need to hear this. I mean, thing. by our nature, it produces generally egotistical bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would exclude Joe Little from that because he's the world's nicest man. <laughs> but it's like, you know, we we want to be told we're that good. That thing, I'll make that better. That's cool, but we'll make yeah, it better. Yeah, 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 yeah know, I get that. You need a certain level of confidence and ego to like, you know, to, to and it's, it's hard because, you know, your ego gets bruised constantly as a producer. It's like, I, yeah, and I guess the question would be if, if what we're saying is it would be great to put the hands, the money in the hands of people who are looking at the bigger picture of the um, music industry. Um, is there a, not, not an, and this isn't for a like. We'll either do that one or that one. It's more like a like an and. But is there is there any other groups other than the actual artists themselves that we can put money into the hands of that potentially by their own nature have the view of the larger music industry as a whole um, more often? I think educators. I think what. One of the really interesting things about speaking to a lot of music educators in New Zealand is they all want it to change. No one's happy with that colonial model and the status quo. They all like, they, there's a real willingness to like, how can we make music education work better? Mm. Not, it's, it's great, What's, what you're worried about? I've, no one said that to me. They're all like, oh, thank, thank goodness someone else is saying it because... And it's like, all right, maybe we're onto something here. You know, if, if we get all the educators on board. But, you know, it's, it's I mean, I had, I've, had, I've spoken to quite a few people who have set up further education um, 
like the outside of school. Music. Yes. Yeah. So, so obviously, uh, so to, to music machina, Ulla, uh, who said at music machina in Sweden, um, to Kevin, um, sorry, I can't remember Kevin's surname, who said at the BIM uh, programs in 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 the UK and and Australia, and you know what, one thing that BIM did which was really interesting is. Let's bring in working producers, working musicians who are at the coal face every day making music on a daily basis and make them the educators because they 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 can see how the industry is changing and, and how they need to uh, you know to, to how they need to teach is the industry now not the industry what it was five years ago. So I think it's important that educators can, can spend more time. Massey have a really good program and they they give their 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 their, their educators time off to go out mm. and go on tour with bands then to go into the studio and work with artists you know and uh, and you've got some really great musicians working there and and that's the way they should run the programs to give you know educate the educators i mean the first year we did the music producer series i was really really upset that, that not a single educator came to the program i mean i brought david ringer and guy massey over to do some great amazing seminars you know, guys work work on Beatles records. He's work on you know these are really highly skilled people, and there were no educators at the program. So I made it my policy to go out and badger all the establishments. Right, you need to give grants to your your lecturers to come to these seminars because they need to learn this shit to pass on to their students. Otherwise, what's the point in me doing it? Mm. I did so. want to say that there was something I wanted to congratulate you on because I think there is a clear lack of um, a culture of mentorship in New Zealand between musicians to musician, but then also like industry to musician, musician the other way. And that is uh, made worse by a real lack of spaces that people can intermix with one another and actually um, have those kinds of conversations. And I think the things like the song hub and the producer series and stuff actually provide both of those. Yeah, a mean, community space and one where like mentorship is actively yeah. um, encouraged. I mean, Parachute are doing some great work. You know, they, they, they are. Their, yeah. their, their song week is is excellent. Um, the their producer development programs and arts development programs. My favorite are, pop uh, singer came out of this year has come out of their program as well. Levine, Lavina. I hope fucking sorry, Sophie. I always get your fucking name wrong. You Every know, they, time. they have some really great programs and. I'd like to see a parachute type um, establishment in every major sort of town and city in the country, because that would be just. I've spoken to Mark Mark De Jong at Parachute about this. It's like, you know, they're doing God's work there. I know it's weirdly parachute God work. Yeah, you know, that wasn't a joke. They're actually, yeah, you know, they are. It's really important the work they're doing. So it's like. Um, to have something like that in Dunedin, hey, in, yeah. Has in there ever, if, and it's, have you ever been privy to a conversation of like decentralizing one of the um, organizations like New Zealand on Air Music or even like the Music Commission? We're like, hey, we're going to divvy up a bit of our resources and try and set up across the country. Because as someone who moved, who lived and grew up in Timaru, right. and then moved to Dunedin and and did the music thing before I moved to London, um, if I'd stayed in Timaru and Dunedin, I know there's some really great musicians in Dunedin who genuinely. Have really have no idea about how anything works because they just don't come up to Auckland and they don't seek it out. And yeah. there's going to be no one going to them. I think there's certainly a case, whether it's decentralizing actual, you know, where where those organizations are, I'd say it was more, more interaction within those communities from those organizations, whether that's somebody on the ground there. Mm. Uh, you know, I think 
I mean, one of the one of the things I think is really detrimental to New Zealand at the moment is not having someone from the major publishers on the ground in New Zealand. We don't have anyone. They're all they, they're all running out. They're all you know, Warner's, Sony, um, Universal. They're all all their publishing divisions run out of Australia. Mm. You know, it's like Australia's a long way away. You know, it's like I don't care how global everybody feels. Having someone in an office on the ground is really important, and I think we would need to have that back here as it used to be um, if we're going to be looking at New Zealand as a global music force. Mm. The publishers in Stockholm are really in integral in, 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 the, um, you know, in the development of new artists. And they, you know, they have all have offices on the ground and they're all, they're all, they're, they're doing development. And it can't just be down to APRA to do that sort of like songwriter development. Um, I mean, what was interesting speaking to, to, to Stim, who are the collection agency in, in Sweden, Norway, Denmark, um, they're in schools teaching young students how royalties work. Right. Cool. You know, it's like that, you need to know that shit. That can't be something you learn when you know royalties come through because you don't know well, you when the chair when the after you sign the contract yeah yeah so it's like you know so i think that integration between you know it's going back to the integration in schools between industry and and the and and, and education it, it all all roads lead back to the same thing wherever i look in look at the music industry you know it all leads back you've got great people you know matt matt ellen doing you know doing um rock quest you've got you've got um mike chun doing play it strange you know weirdly you know rock quest funded by health the health department through smoke free um play it strange funded by pokey funding it's like give them some proper fucking money smoke free you know, rock quest has, has already got the infrastructure for everything yeah, you and i are talking about but I, I know matt from speaking to matt he would love to have like a parachute type building in 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 christchurch in dunedin in wellington in you know in Timaru, you know it's like that's what he'd really like mm. to have you know and i think there's no reason why that can't be done through government it's just another education program you know and and it's like it's it's it seems it all goes back to this not that not recognizing the contemporary music is a really really serious profession you know it's like I, i'm sure all those towns have really strong like school sports departments and you know and this and and the money goes to will tend will go to elite sport before it goes to goes to goes to contemporary music so again you know it's, it's just looking looking at the court you know the, those initial root causes and how and how to, how to solve those and um you know it all leads back all leads back to education and, and interaction between industry and education so it's it, it's like it's like everything is there yeah like all the all the building blocks are there. I feel which, like we're missing the argument. Or the cement to push the building blocks together. It's, it's, yeah. it's not, I don't feel it's a, it's, a, it's a long way away. You know, making the argument to, you know, all hues of government is going to be important. But I think, you know, when you drill down into it, you know, the business argument, the, 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 the personal development argument, the, you know, the sort of mental health argument, you know, you don't even need to mention the word arts. You just look at all those, all those aspects and they're all like a, that should be enough. You know, you want your young people to be, to, to have, you know, have opportunities growing up to be able to, to have, have some sort of creative freedom and have, have the sort of the ability to, to pursue things they really want to do to give them, you know, to help with their mental health, to help, you know, and, and, 
but it's also really important that we we don't music music doesn't become elitist it's become about well you know we yes yes you could have higher, higher education but only kids who've you know kids from the north shore can do it because their parents can afford to do it you know not wishing to sit on the north shore but it's like you know, it's a very, you know, from spending time down in, you know, with, with the guys down in South Auckland, it's a much harder, harder ask for them to take two years out in higher education than mm. it is for a kid from, from, you know, from, from the North Shore to do it. So how do we level that up? How do we find ways to, um, to make it work for an active opportunity to everybody, you know, but always bearing in mind that music is not going to be a profession that everyone can pursue. No. So it has to, you know, you have to, you have to really be able to give opportunity to everybody, but also then look at, you know, uh, some sort of elite further education for the people who are genuinely serious. Like when I, you know, one thing I've done with the music producer series is target people who are really serious about it. It's one of the only reasons I've had until this year a fee to do it is to kind of like, if you're serious yes. about it or you're already working in music, you know, it's, it's an investment in mm. your in your thing, and it helps me bring people like Andrew Sheps and Sylvia Massey over to do it. This year, now all the producers are coming from New Zealand, and amazing skill based producers we've got to do it. It's like, and everyone's going to be skint because of COVID. Let's make it free. So you know you've got to kind of be agile with the programs, but you kind of you, you st I've still set a bar of like you got to send me some songs in. You know, it's not for beginners. Yep. It's for people who are genuinely serious about it. And I think that solves your problem. What you pointed out before, which was. We re we kind of don't want to be subsidizing the kind of person who wouldn't do it without the subsidizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the arts aren't for them if they if they you know just want. So it's not a free lunch thing. It's like we're trying to help people who are already going to do it. Yeah, know? and it's yeah, it's. I was I was chatting to a, to a producer earlier today. we were talking about this the um, this criteria that myself and Clint Murphy, who was a Kiwi producer and engineer, I've worked with a lot over the years, and. Uh, we have we'd have the this when we'd have all these young assistants and assistant engineers and 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 coming into studios to work with us it was like after the first day it's like do they have the thing mm. and basically the thing would be are they the first person in are they the last person out is the washing up done are the mics all on in the studio are they thinking three steps ahead of what we're doing obsessive psychos yeah upset you know people <laughs> are really genuinely want to do the job yeah because i think some people see oh work in a studio it'd be great i can hang out with famous pop stars it'd be great i can go home at five and hang out with my mates no you won't be doing that your life will be shit for a long time but it'll be worth it you know mm -hmm. and it's like and 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 all the producers and i know have gone on to be really successful that have been that have worked with me as assistants you know it's like they've all had the thing whether you know it's like um Brendan Davis, who you know. Shout out, Brendan. Yeah, he was like, you know, he, Brendan had the thing. You know? Oh, yeah. He was like, you know, hard worker, really good skills, you know. And, um, uh, you know, I was talking to about this guy, Jimmy Robertson, who's a great producer and I was going to work with amazing artists. And he he was just like the, the greatest assistant, studio assistant I've ever had. He was just like, you didn't have to think. He, he mm. thought for you, you know, and he was first person in, last person out, you know, and, 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 so it isn't for everybody, you know. It's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a kind of hard profession to do, but but it's it's super rewarding, you know. It's like I wouldn't do anything else for the world. It's been like you know, it's just you get to make music every day, and that's your living. It's like how lucky am I, you know? How I did I did want to ask you: Is there like has there been 
Have you had like, oh my God, I'm I'm a fan working with a band that I've always really loved. Have you ever had any of those moments? I've, oh, I have so many fan. I, I'm a, essentially a, like a sad fan boy. <laughs> Often with other producers though. It's oh, like, okay. Like uh, actually when I was here working on the 48 May record, um, James from the Manager Preachers phoned up and said, uh, do you want to come to New York and hang out with Tony Visconti for a, for a, for a couple of days? Oh, wow. Um, and I'm like, Visconti made all the records that I grew up with that made me want to be a musician. And I'm like, I want to play in the next day. It's going to New York. And I hang out with, with Tony for, you know, and uh, for, for a few, few days. And all we did, I was like, tell me about yeah, right. Finn Lizzie Live and Dangerous. Tell me about all these Bowie records. Tell me about T-Rex. Tell me, you know, just like, it was incredible. I just like, I was, I was just, it was, I was just the saddest fanboy ever. And um, there's also a producer called Rupert Hine, who I, I produced in the 80s, who I absolutely loved. And uh, I went to a studio one day and, said, and the studio owner said to me, um, Do you, have you heard of Rupert Hine? I'm, Fuck have I heard of Rupert Hine? He's like the greatest producers ever. And it was like, well, he's coming to the studio this afternoon. So I, I literally, <laughs> poor Rupert, I, you know, he passed away recently, sadly, but... I, I pinned him against the studio wall almost literally for three <laughs> hours to tell me about every record that I loved that he made, you oh know, and it's like, and, but, and, and there were other like great moments. I remember I'd, uh, over lockdown, I've done lots of kind of retrospective Manic Street Preachers podcasts. Oh, I think all the Manic fans have been setting a podcast and there's been some really interesting ones. And I was chatting to the guys at the Do You Love Us podcast, which is really great. It's like three, three, um, one super Manix fan, one average Manix fan, and one skeptical Manix fan. Oh, that's a cool it's, setup. It's a really, really cool setup. And like I've been on it, Michael Sheen, the actor, has been on it. There's, a, there's been lots of really interesting people on it. I saw Michael's way more interesting than me. <laughs> hey, you're plenty but, interesting. But, um, and uh, one of the, they said, oh, tell, you know, talking about times that were like, you know, things that only, can only happen to you because of your involvement with them. And I said, I remember, I remember they were rehearsing for the Everything Must Go Tour, which is my favorite Mannix record. And I popped in to see them in the studio in Cardiff for a cup of tea, as I would often do if I'd come back from New Zealand, just go and say hello and have a tea, because James makes really good tea. And, uh, <laughs> and they are like, oh, we're just about to pay for the album. Just, just, do you want to hang out? So I just, I just sat there in the control room with a cup of tea, and they played through live my favorite album of theirs. Oh, wow. Just for me and Loz, um, the, the engineer. And we're like sitting there, and it's like, you can't buy this shit. You know, this is yeah. why this is why we do the job. You know, for those moments and for the other moments where like someone will deliver a vocal and you can feel you welling up on your or the hairs in the back of your neck stand up and you're like, man, this is just, you know, like just two in the morning and someone's delivering a, a like an amazing guitar part or a great vocal or something, you know, the band are just firing and it's like you know, it's just like that happens about 5% of the time, yeah, maybe yeah, 2% yeah. of the time. Yeah. But it literally the other 95% of the time is worth it for those moments. They're like, yeah. So yeah, it's some, um, there's been so many of them over the years and some of them on records that no one, that you'd have never heard that, that I, that I think are the greatest record that I've ever made that have like, no one's ever bothered to listen to. Mm. And other records that I've made that I'm pretty mad about that have sold like half a million records. So you just don't really know. It's like, it's music. Yeah. It, it's not a wall. It doesn't stand <laughs> up or fall down. It's it's all gray areas. It's all degrees of stuff. You know, yeah. it's there, there, it's no, there's no real sort of yes or no moment. It's just like, do I like it? Great. Do you like Yeah, as a producer, you're always subservient to the artist. It's like, 
um, you know, do you like it? Are, are you happy to put your name on this for the next four years of your life or for your whole career and say, I'm really proud of this moment? Because every record's a moment in time. Mm. You know, if you made the same record six months later, it would be different because your life changes, things change, you write different songs, you you buy a new guitar or you change, you know, whatever, you change your platform you're working on. So you can only ever capture the moment that's in front of you. So you've got to try and like make that special. So when you put it on in 20 years time and go, I'm really proud of that. You know, that's your legacy as a producer. You you have no control over about who buys the records or if anybody buys the records. And it's like, you know, your legacy has to be the work. Mm. And then, you know, so... And I'm happy to, you know, I've made some good records. I've made some shit records. You know, I think I've made more good records than shit records, but someone else might disagree with me. Sounds like you're better it's all great areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, but it's, you know, it, when you've made like, it, it literally is thousands of records now. And it's like, there's got to be a couple of good ones in there. Is there a part <laughs> of the job now that's so rote that's annoying? So what? Uh, like you've done it so many times. Like what's the most mundane part of like, fuck it, I'm doing this one part again, like setting up this mic or fucking doing that yeah. kind of shit. There are certain things that really bore the shit out of me. <laughs> like if the bass players, bad bass players really fucking annoys me. Yeah, why is that? Like, oh, well, is well, that the drummer thing of like, well, like you should just be, it's a rhythm section, motherfucker. Well, bad drummers are quite fixable nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Bad bass players are not that fixable. Because right. it's like my biggest bugbear and has been for a long time is, bass players who can't play a note without playing another three notes all resonating at the same time. It's like, just play the note you're meant to be playing, not have all the other strings rattling around at the same time. You, if you come up any of my sessions, you'll literally see any guitar or bass strings that aren't being used covered in gaffer tape. Really? Yeah, I just like, I cannot stand it. It drives me absolutely mental. Play the notes you're meant to play, all right? It's like, it's... That's, and I like to do that's cool. I like to do crazy shit with bass, you know, like sort of do multiple splits and yes, yeah, so you did die it off and oh yeah, or like two or three amps going or bass microsynths going with sub bass. And Is it just you, to give you options in case it's shit? No, no. If just if you want to do all that stuff, the bass player's got to be really accurate, yeah. to be able to to enact that, you know. And once you work with a lot of really great bass players. It's like, you know, like I was brought up with amazing bass players. I would go and watch them. I'd go and watch Pino Palladino play at the local pub. Right. And he's one of the world's greatest bass players. And that, for me, that was the, that's my benchmark. So you've got the standards to see. <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> yeah. seeing Pino play in a, in a sort of like, in, 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 a, in, a, in a, play jazz gigs in a, in a pub in Cardiff, that's my upbringing. That's how good I want bass players to be. Yeah. Admittedly, that's not going to happen most of the time. <laughs> it's Pino Palladino, for God's sake. But, you know, I, a good bass player is like, you know, it's, they're re it's really underestimated what a, difference, what a great difference an amazing bass player can make. So, yeah, so watching poor, my poor engineers having to edit bass parts, that's pretty, pretty depressing. So I tend to go home then. It's like, I've like I, I, those are the days I'm like, I've enough of this shit, I'm out of here. Yeah. I'll see you guys tomorrow kind of thing. But generally, no, I mean, every day in the studio is different. It's like every song is different. It's like musicians are different. Yeah. The people are different. I like and the people side of it's really fun and just getting to know them and just finding what they like. And, um, you know, it's just, and I don't do enough records now. I think when I was doing, you know, I'd finish a record on a Saturday and I'd be, I'd be on another one on the Sunday morning, you know, it's like album after album after album. You start getting to that point where you repeat yourself a lot. Mm. One of the beauties of moving here is that I get more time between records that I make so I can do a lot more research. 
So when I go in, I can be a bit more experimental and a bit more forward thinking and not just rely on what I know works. Yeah, right. So that the luxury of time is what having some success has afforded me to do, which is good. And to be able to do some shit that will stop the next generation of, music, of producers having to go through some of the same shit that I've got to do. They'll still have to deal with bass players with <laughs> rattly strings. <laughs> But it'll be, hopefully it'll be a little bit easier. Maybe someone can design some software. To yeah, do, we're trying to, to harness to replace them with VSTs, mate. Don't worry about it. But it's, uh, you know, uh, yeah. They're, they're, no, it's, it's too good a job to yeah. really worry about. You can't really moan about it. Is there like something that you haven't achieved in your mind? Or is there something that like oh, God, you, yeah. is, there, is, is there something that you like, this is really what I, I want to work towards and I want to be, I want to achieve this. I want to do this. Like, or is it just, cause it really sounds like you're just like genuinely passionate in the moment about all the stuff, you know? I mean, to be honest, doing things like song hubs, the producer series, and hopefully the development program, they're kind of more satisfying than anything else I've done. And I, it's like, you know, I, watching, you know, like after the last, the, the last song I did, which is the last one I'm going to curate because it's kind of, I think it's important to, to keep, to keep turning curators over and things. So I, as I set myself, I'll do it for five years and then I'll step back and it's important that we bring some other curators in. And the last one was just, we'd refined it so much after five years and we had four great Swedish writers, uh, Shai Martin, Nero Bislam, uh, Judah Carlson, and Anton Runberg, who were, they were so connected with the musicians here. There was a real amazing Swedish New Zealand thing, which it's, it's kind of like, it, it kind of inspired me to kind of like get involved in this other idea of like looking at the parallels. Yeah. The connections were so good. And we had some, you know, Kings was there and, and Masby Cure was there and it was like, and Paige was on it. And He, he, shot, he <laughs> shot a video just down, and right, the studio's yeah. latest video was down here. And it was like, we had so many brilliant young musicians and producers and like the production skills of the, you know, the people working there was amazing. And it was like, it just felt perfect. The whole thing week felt perfect. And mm. it was like, it was like, and I, you know, I remember coming away at the last, and, and then the discussions with, about the new music development program happened, started happening with David Riddler at the, on, after the playback, which was just this euphoric experience. And it was like, I'm like, if I do nothing else in my career, that one night to see that was like, like the most valuable, worthwhile thing that I felt I'd ever been involved in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm kind of at the end of my career as producer. I'm, I'm, I'll be 60 next year. So it's like, I've done a lot of, made a lot of records, done a lot of gigs, done a lot of things. So it feels now that what I want to do is kind of get involved in programs that are going to benefit people to have, to get to my age and still be able to do this career, not get to 30 and give up because it's too hard. Mm. And to do that, you've got to, you've got to protect producer incomes and you've got to, you've got to produce, you've got to, um, standardized income streams you've got a standardized piece of contracts and royalties as methods of payment just in good solid industry practices that will allow people to have a whole career in the music industry whether they're an artist or a musician or a producer or a songwriter so if i can guarantee that over the next 10 years i think that's a pretty good legacy and i'll, I'll take that you know i think it'd be fantastic i mean you're you're literally building an international community of and securing the futures yeah. of, uh, but it's only because the industry here is willing to do it, and the support of the industry and the skill set of the industry here is so good. Yeah, 
This is why, you know, I mean, this start, this conversation started out of our conversation on Twitter. And it was like, I, I very rarely push, I don't have conversations on social media. I'm glad you did. You know, and but occasionally, I, the only time I tend to do is if I'm pushing back when I think that it's like, I probably need to clarify this because it's like, it feels like, you know, there are so many misconceptions about the way the industry works here. I feel it's a lot, it's in a lot better state and a lot better run than people have a general perception than it is. Yeah. Having seen the shit show of some of the music industries I've been involved with, <laughs> it's like there's lots of good people doing good things here. Yeah. And um, so like you'll never see me, even even though politics is my hobby and I, it's something I'm passionate about and I, and I spend most of my time these days researching politics, learning about politics, I never get into political arguments on social media, because that's not the forum for me. No. It's like, that's a glass of wine and a good discussion <laughs> with someone who disagrees with me. Yeah. You know, it's not for me to sort of rant on social media about you know, some awful thing that Donald Trump has done. You know, it's like, you know, let the politicians speak for themselves and then I mean, have the discussions. But, because I think, I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of alarmed by the lack of consensus in politics. I think all the good shit comes out of consensus, you know, and I think these music industry programs will all have to happen with consensus mm. from lots of different points of view. And I think if you can kind of like make that work, then everything's going to be a lot easier rather yeah. than, you know, so it's not my place to be, you know, but I, but yeah, it was, I thought it was important just to sort of, you made some good points, but let's, this is what, this is what the program is really about. You coming on here is exactly what I want from all of my tweets. Right. About the music industry. Right. Because I completely agree with you that, and I think you would say that I, I'm not someone who's here bashing New Zealand on air. I think New Zealand on air is great. I think APRA is great. I think I agree with you completely that we have a music industry filled with people who have a great amount of support from our government and all want to do good. Yeah. So I think it's really important for me to also be a part of that voice that shuts down anyone who just says, oh, it's, it's shit and the industry's shit and all these things. Cause it's not, yeah. it's really not. And like, we don't need that kind of mentality. Um, you have, we're all going to get somewhere by understanding that you want the music industry to grow and benefit more people, including yourself. And the music industry wants the music industry to grow, benefit more people than themselves. Yeah. The thing, my role in that at the moment is is exactly why I'm really happy you're here and why I tweet, which right. is essentially I think I had pretty simple points and I I try to make pretty simple statements on Twitter that if anyone was adequately clued up, um, there it wouldn't be any problems. And I really think that one of the th first things we have to solve, and like you see, consensus is to actually I think we're failing to effectively get the discussion out about exactly what these schemes are, what the thought is, what does New Zealand actually want to do? Who do they do it with? Because right. if we were actively communicating effectively to everyone, yeah. would you would anyone be able to complain about them not getting funded and all these things? That understand exactly why. I mean, how do you, how do you think that communication should be enacted? Do you think it's like regional forums? Do you think it's just purely a social media thing, or do you think it's just like? I mean, how do you get that message across? Because you're always going to have people who, pu who push back because because they're not personally getting the funding. Yeah, but so, that'd be so, wrong. So how do you reach them to really get them to understand? 
I mean, if you just look at the numbers, you know, the amount of, like, like I, you know, I'd go through every year with song hubs. We'd have like 200 applications and I'd have to pick 16 people. And I'd look at the list of people who didn't make it and it's like, oh man, there are, there are 40 or 50 people that would, that would earn a place on here. You know, this is why I, want the, why I wanted the regional song hub stuff to happen, um, to make sure there was another tier because a lot of people who like, didn't quite make the main event, but really do deserve that, that the, you know, their skills deserve it. And it's just like, you know, it's trying to, you know, I try to explain, you know, it's not a personal thing. It's like this, two, I got 200 applications and I got 16 places. How do you make that work? You know, answer and there you get like 180 applications and there's 40 fun, you know, 40 funds, you know. So you're more likely not to get it than you are to get it. Do you, make the grants less and get more people to it you try and target you, you go even no. tighter with the criteria and like maybe make it much harder to get those grants so so more people realize that it's not you know that you have to be at a certain level to get them you know it's it's really hard to know how to structure it. it's never going to be enough funding it's the it's the curse of government mm. there's never enough money for all the programs that you want to achieve so how do you target it right well how it's I, in my mind regardless of how even all that structure stuff. I think even in this conversation, the there was the presentation of the producer thing. And then someone saw that and, and just asked me my thing. And yeah. then you came on and, and said, explained the context behind it because yeah. you were consulting. And then we had this conversation and we get even more context, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not trying to, someone who has aggrieved that they didn't get a thing. Yeah is solved by us communicating effectively enough for everyone else to understand that that person is just aggrieved about not getting the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in the gaps of thinking, oh, do they have a point about this? Because I don't really know what this is and how it works. Yeah, yeah. I really don't think there should be any, there, we should try and minimize the gaps for misunderstanding. Right. And, 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 and I think it's, it's, it's as easy potentially as having, where is the platform for the music industry um, like yourself, but even more like the people who, who work in these things to actively speak to and interact with anyone theoretically that can apply for their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I think that I don't, and I don't know what the problem there is, yeah. why, why there can't be, I think the online hooies are great, Yeah. but they tend to be industry people talking to industry people. Yeah. And so there's an assumption, well, we all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I feel mean, like there is some kind of platform missing or some kind of interaction missing. I mean, seeing the amount of fires that ends in and music particularly have to put out every time there's a funding round. Oh my God. I mean, you, you that know, must be frustrating. It, it's, it, it's like, you know, it's, their, their time is really valuable because they're trying to, they're trying to enact really important schemes across lots of different platforms you know and lots of different you know now they have so many funding rounds with the, you know children's funding terrain funding um you know sort of obviously in the music development funding single funding you know bearing in mind there are three people in the Auckland office yeah yeah yeah. you know it's like and there's and, and you know and there's yes there's the office in wellington but they're 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 dealing with film television everything there. yeah so it's like their their workload is insane i've seen it on a daily basis. What about doing the meetings live? Not live, but why not? I, it, it might seem a little bit radical, but- Well, like live, live stream the funding decisions. It, 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 
if we believe, which I do, that everyone there is, is just trying to fund the best music they can for the things, and there's real yeah. reasons why things are funding and funded and, and they aren't, which I believe is completely true. Yeah, yeah. Where's, why are we afraid of the utter transparency of that? Yeah. Because I feel like that would shut down a lot of those people that you would they would be able to see in the room. Well, no, I, that's again really radical. Yeah. But like, find something like that where we can bring a bit more transparency to it, so everyone can see how fair it is. Right. And at the same time, as saying like, guys, this is New Zealand on ear. Our aim and ear means this to us, and these are the things that generally we like to try and fund, yeah. and a little bit of that. But yeah, it seems weird that like it does. They do, I think. While I completely agree with like it's the, it must be really hard and I don't ever want it to come across like I'm shitting on them because they do work that I couldn't do yeah. that lots of people couldn't do but I feel like they there's a little bit of them putting themselves putting the the stick through the wheel and the bike falling over a little bit right. by the secrecy surrounding the meetings themselves yeah it allows the but conspiracy mind, victim people I, I, to I come mean out. obviously I you know I, I'm not an employee of Anson and Air so I'm sort of um, you know how this how some of their practices work is kind of up to them, but it's, I mean, only the single funding round is a panel round. The yeah. other, the others. That are, is what I'm yeah. kind of talking about. Really. Now, I mean, do you feel that, that the, the internally decided funding rounds like the new music development round will be, should, is that too exclusive? There's a small panel of people. I don't think so. You know, it doesn't happen because it's the frequency of it. I think, I think that's why, like you said, you get yeah. more fires in the single funding because yeah. it's the frequency of it then yeah. you, and you get new, new people applying, getting turned out and, and th these feelings kind of ferment, I think. I think you're right that the communication side of it is important. I mean, one of the things I've done with the new development program is the moment I came on board was I literally went around the country to speak to producers. Mm. I got on planes, I went to speak to people and you're may i say you're a, you're a very personable very nice person to talk well, to you're very yeah. you're very good at communication i'm sure my wife jackie would disagree with you <laughs> on you know i i can reasonably personable but <laughs> but um i think that just that community you know for me in production is so much about communication it's about you know getting to know the artists and really kind of like trying to connect with them on a personal level because that way you're going to get the best out of them in the studio, but also you're going to like find out what their likes and dislikes are. Mm. You know, I often like production like a holiday romance. It's really intense for a very short period of time and then it's over right. and you might not even see that person again. So it's like, you know, so the communication is really important. So, so obviously the first thing, if you're going to set up a new program, that communication with the producers is essential. So I literally write, okay, let's go and speak to as humanly as many producers as I, as I physically can between now and when we, you know. Yeah. So literally every day was like meetings, 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 you know. Wow. Everyone from Joel Little right down to sort of like guys working at the grassroots, you know, and everybody in between. You know, if you're listening and I've missed you out, hit me up and I'll come and speak to you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like trying to get a really broad consensus about what producers want and what they need and what, where they want the, fund, the money to go. So I'm hoping that by that communication, when the funding round actually happens and we, we only have a very finite amount of money we can spend, that the producers who get funding and, um, you know, will appreciate it. And the ones who don't get the funding are willing to communicate and say, let me know why I didn't get the funding so I can make a difference. Mm. So let's, you know, let's, let's not make it a sort of like, you know, sort of premier league first division kind of thing. Let's, let's, the, you know, it could be, they just, they just put it, put in a better proposal or the artist they were proposing to develop 
was just you know was just a great artist you know it, there could be so many factors or they the budget they put in was you know sort of like not great it was like yeah. you want to spend any money on this you know it's like so one of the things we, we, we've set up is the artist the artist um who was on who was being developed they have a liaison at Enzo which is ash wallace shout out the, ash yeah and the, you know who's amazing and yeah. just like and also really understands young artists uh, and and you know particularly young female artists you know which is like obviously that's that's not an air you know i'm that's not my you know so by having me as an old experienced producer who lasers with the producers and asked to liaison with the artists that should give us a good you know we so we, we have regular communication so we can make sure these schemes work because if it doesn't work there'll be it won't go on for more than two years and i think that's a really good point because i do also know like I, i'm as hard on musicians sometimes as i am on the industry and stuff because you're exactly right and i know in new zealand on air if anyone who doesn't get funding thinks that you don't understand why you can just email Ash and New Zealand on air yeah. and you can ask why. Yeah. Like if you, uh, I would, you should be doing that before you have some kind of theory or conspiracy yeah. about um, what you're doing, you yeah. know, and, and that is something great that New Zealand on air do yeah. do. I just think like, it's about preempting that kind yeah. of like mentality. I, mean, about you know, I do find that whole sort of, um, you know, oh, woe is me posting online when you didn't get funding. <laughs> kind yeah. of like, so all your mates say, oh, hey, hun, you know, he's, yeah, you're really talented, you should get it. Fuck that. Yeah. You know, you didn't get it for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. And it's like, you know, don't go looking for sympathy. Figure, figure out what, what you can do better. Again, you should be doing it. This is just to help you that, do it. Too, you're going to do it. Is that too hard? No, I don't I, think I don't so. feel it's too hard. It's like nobody ever said... You know, if you're going to complain the music industry is too tough, there are lots of other jobs out there you could do. Mm. You know, it's really tough. It's it's a it's pretty brutal. And this is New Zealand. Just wait, you get to the states, yeah, and you, and, and you get shit on every single day. And it's like, and there is no funding available, and you just you're completely on your own. It's like you know, you it's 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 a pretty good environment you're working in here. I, I think if you're not willing to make it work with no support whatsoever and build your own audience yourself yeah and then and then you grasp at everything that comes at you yeah. along that road then uh, you you should really get yourself into that mentality yeah. before and you persevere. even go yeah it's like mm. you know we've had people apply for song hubs three four times and got on the fourth time mm. you know i've known people who've applied for internet funding year after year after year and then suddenly they get it it's like you know sometimes stars align and everything yes. works and everything's fine or you just get really really good it's like and you look back at you know I wonder how many artists would look back at their, their work five years previously and it's like, I submitted that for funding? What a pile of shit. Yeah. But, you know, and so no wonder I didn't get it. But, you know, I've got it now because I've got really good in that time. It's, you've got to be super self-critical with yourself as an artist. And that's really hard to do as an artist to say, actually, what I did is a pretty average, you know? Yeah. And it's like, but you've got to learn that. It's like, you know, I, I, I'll turn around if I've done a, a production job that's not very good and I will like, you know that 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 was below my standard. You know, yeah. it doesn't happen very. Or, or or you'll find a session that just doesn't work for whatever reason. You know, and you just got to like you know that those are the ones you. Le that's how you learn by doing things wrong. Doing things right is easy because everything's right, and you 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 learn way more when everything goes completely to shit. I mean, I often recount the story to young producers about uh, it, it got so bad on one session that I I I, I literally. 
curled up in the fetal position in the drum booth and cried like a baby. Right. I was so stressed and the session was going so badly. All I could do was curl up in a ball and cry. Wow. You know, it's like when you get to that point, everything from that is a bit, it's going to be better. Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And, like, and, and the things that led to that happening, you will never let happen again. Yeah. And that was the first session I did for my manager as well. There was, you know, and it's like, you know, it was like, and and I remember him saying to me, mate, this guy's a bit of a wanker. He's only if he wanted to be working with him. And I'm like, Steve, I'm a good people person. It'll be great. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. Cue a week later, like a baby. And it's like, you know, sometimes you've got to listen to people and you sometimes you've got to be able to, you've got to, if something's not going to work, you just got to say, you know, I'm probably not the guy for this or the girl for this. Just go and, this producer would be great for you. Go and work with them, you know? Yeah, right. And walk, walking away from a gig as a producer or as a musician, it's really hard to do because they're so, they're so hard to get. But, you know, it's knowing when to sort of like, when failure is good sometimes and walking away is the best option sometimes. Mm. And that's like, you know, that's not in our nature to do that. But that's, if, if one thing age gives you is that, all right, those are really good. That's really good advice. Yeah. You know, just that is like, some really say, good advice. Just say no, kids. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's, oh. it, it's, you're best served doing that sometimes, you know? Well, on that, Greg, I think we've talked for a very good amount of time. I think we're going to have to have you back at some point as well because yeah, well, it's really fascinating. I've just, I've just had three hours of meetings. I'm just getting hoarser and hoarser. Yeah, yeah. I don't have COVID. I'm sort of like, you know, sort of, I sound like Donald Trump after a sort of, uh, you know. Oh, he's after, gasping for breath these yeah, days. Yeah. Um, you could edit out all my coughs. <laughs> yeah. yeah we have edited out all the coughs um do you in terms of plugs like uh, are there things um that people can apply for that are the applications are open for right now the producer series are the applications open yeah so um so the new music development funding for and near is available online now you have to register with the eric system now is october the 6th by yes, the way so. yeah so that op- that opened on the 1st of october um, places are available for the the new the um the, for amps, which is the Altero uh, Music Producer Series, um, and uh, so that is yeah we've had a hundred applications so far. So there's a lot of people applying, but you know keep applying because we're doing ten one day seminars. So mm. I can be able to, I can be able to split people up a little bit from that um, and get and get plenty of people coming along. Um, the Music Producers Guild launches on the 19th of October. So if you're a producer, you can pre-register. Go to mpgnz.co.nz and you can pre-register there and we'll come back to you when when the launch happens. Cool. What else are we doing? It seems like an awful lot of stuff. <laughs> it, it is a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, so apply for everything and, uh, you know, and just and good luck with everything. And then apply again if you don't get it. And apply again. Keep applying because you know you you know it's yeah, but I, but the producers here should be really fascinating. We've got some brilliant producers coming in. You know, like Tom Healy, Sai Goodin, Esther Bikrunga, Josh Fountain, um, Rory Noble, Sam De Jong, P Money, Devon Abrahams, and Lee Prevel. I think we got them all. Nice. Yeah, that's a pretty good cross section. Of, of, of I'm of such great a producers. huge fan of Devons. If you next time you see him. 
give him a heads up. I'd love to have he him was here great. talking about he was, Pacific he was, Heights because that's one of my favorite projects. He was on Song Hubs this year and he was a genius. I'm like, man, you know, got to get him into sort of, and he's a, a really shrewd business mind. There's some really shrewd business minds. Like P Money is just like the sharpest attack. He is so clued up. Loves his coffee as well. Yeah, I've seen does. Him, we seen often, him we have in a lot same, of my cafes actually. This is going to sound like the wankiest thing ever. We have the same personal trainer. Oh, lovely. And, uh, <laughs> and it's like, um, uh, so we often catch up and things uh, nice. as we're crossing over sessions and everything. But um, yeah, he's 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 brilliant. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really great series. So so apply and come along. And, and it's free this year. There you go. So, Thanks, well, COVID. Yes. COVID. <laughs> thanks, COVID. There are, some up, there are some upsides to a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hey, well, thanks for being on, Greg. My pleasure. Uh, Thank enjoy. You. Uh, we'll see you next week, guys. <laughs>